Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Welcome to Grace Crossing. Great to have you here this morning. Thanks for joining us. Uh, so if, um, if you're not yet clued in on our series, so if the handout didn't give it away, um, if the song we sang didn't give it away, uh, if that bumper and Bon Jovi didn't give it away, okay, uh, we're in a series on prayer here at Grace Crossing Church. And so what I'd like to do as we begin is I'd like to have a moment of honesty this morning. Not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I'd like you internally to answer and respond to this. How many of you, when you either heard we were doing a series on prayer, or this morning you're here, maybe for the first time hearing that, how many of you emotionally are checking out a little bit? I mean, let's be honest. How many of you are thinking, I don't really want to do a series on prayer? I mean, people check out often when they hear the word prayer. So if you're there this morning, don't be too hard on yourself. I get it. And, and let me just say this, though prayer is central to the Christian faith, and it is critical to our spiritual formation, we actually spend very little time talking about prayer, and we even spend less time actually praying. And I think there are probably at least two good reasons that many people struggle with and even avoid the topic of prayer. See if either of these resonate with you this morning. You feel inadequate when it comes to prayer. Many people don't pray because they simply don't feel like they're worthy to pray. They don't feel like they know how to pray. They, they feel awkward in prayer, privately and or in public. They just simply don't feel comfortable when it comes to prayer. Maybe that's where you are this morning. But the second and perhaps more important reason I think many people fail to pray is because many people feel like prayer is doing nothing. In other words, are we really accomplishing anything when we pray? Like we live in a culture, right, where if you're going to be successful, if you're going to have value and worth, you've got to do something. And in prayer, we're not doing anything. And so we often feel like prayer is just wasted time because we're not doing anything. So with that in mind, I want to lead into this morning's talk by asking you to respond to two statements. These statements are important enough that we want you to write them down this morning. They're important enough, I've put them on the screen. Here's the first question or statement I'd like you to respond to. The best word to describe my prayer life right now is. Now, you, I don't expect you to answer that this morning, but I'd like you to take that with you, and I'd like you to think about that in God's presence. The best word to describe my prayer life right now is empty, meaningless, MIA, missing in action, confusing, conflicting, rich, 
intimate. Like, I don't know what word, because we have people all over the spiritual continuum here at Grace Crossing Church. Here's what I know. Don't judge the word this morning that comes to you. Just ask God, what are we going to do with that word? Because that's where you are. And it's okay to be where you are when it comes to prayer. Not necessarily okay for us to stay there, but it's okay to be there. Here's a second statement I'd like to encourage you to respond to. What I desire most in my prayer life is. What I desire most in my prayer life is. Here's why this statement's so important. I think until we tap into our deepest longings, to our deepest desires, and we bring those to God, prayer will never become what God would desire it to be in our lives. Most of us have no desire when it comes to prayer, and we can't even say what it is we desire. And I think a starting point for us is just beginning to express that to God. God, this is where I am. This is the best word, but this is what I desire in prayer. It's a good starting point for all of us. Now, with that said, let me give you a construct for prayer. It's probably a good time for me to give some definition to this idea. And I want to give it to you in two ways, two things and ways that you can view prayer that I think are important. Number one, prayer is all of the ways in which we communicate and commune with God. Prayer is all the ways by which we communicate and commune with God. Prayer is not simply communication. Prayer is also communion. And there is not one right way to do it, and there is not one wrong way to do it. Prayer is all of the ways that we communicate and commune with God. And there are many ways that we do that. The second way I want you to view prayer is a, is a definition that I've used, especially if you've been at one prayer, you've heard me say this on more than one occasion because I want it written on the tablets of our heart. Prayer is a posture of open receptivity and eager responsiveness to the invitations of God. Prayer is a posture a position of open receptivity and eager responsiveness to the invitations of God. We do not initiate prayer. God does. It's not our invitation to God. It's God's invitation to us. And these invitations are coming to us. In case you haven't noticed, God is always inviting you God is always welcoming you. God is always saying, come, be with me. And so the question is, are we open and are we eager to respond to those invitations that God brings to us? Now, can you think back in your life to the first time that you test drove prayer? Can you think back to the first time you said, I'm going to give this thing a whirl and actually see if it works? I mean, I think many of us can probably remember as kids, at some point in our life, regardless of our spiritual upbringing or heritage, we probably can remember a time in life where we heard about prayer and we thought, that sounds pretty magical. I'd like to kind of try that out and see if it works. 
I remember when I was about nine or 10 years old, I went to bed one night and for whatever reason, I didn't get my midnight snack that I wanted before bed. And I was a kid and I was hungry when I went to bed, really, really hungry. And I remember saying, I'm gonna give this prayer thing a try. And I said, God, if you're real, I'm gonna look under my bed in five minutes and there's gonna be a Big Mac there. <laughs> and I was so excited. Because I was thinking, man, I can already taste the, the two all beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. I got it. Like, I can't wait to sink my teeth into that. Five minutes later, I looked under my bed. I saw dust, but I saw no Big Mac. And so I thought, okay, God, you know, it may be a busy night at the drive-thru at McDonald's. I'm going to give you a little more time. I'm going to try this again. So I give you some more. So I prayed again, God, if you're real. Uh, I, I'm going to look under my bed and in, in, in a little more time here, I'll give you some more time and there'll be a Big Mac there. How many of you know I went to bed hungry that night? Okay. <laughs> because prayer isn't magical. Right? There's something deeper about prayer that God's inviting us into. And I think you would all agree with me this morning that it'd be really, really tragic for us to do a series on prayer and not pray. Wouldn't that be a a tragedy? If we actually did an entire series on prayer, but we never prayed, I suspect you'd agree we'd be missing out on something really critical. So each week, I'm going to bookend these messages, and I want to bookend these messages with a prayer, private and personal, to begin. And then we're going to end our prayer with some type of corporate, confessional, as I begin this morning, what I'd like us to do is place ourselves in a posture with God of open receptivity and eager responsiveness. I want us to have just a few moments of silence and quiet where we reflect and we just simply begin to listen and pay attention to God's invitation. He's inviting you today. He's inviting you. God wants to be with you more than you want to be with God. And especially for you ladies here, you don't have to wait until next weekend for a revival conference to get that. Right? Blockages can happen right now in God's presence. So let's just wait on the Lord. Let's be quiet. Let's be silent. Let all the earth be silent before God. Amen. Silence is a parent or great, grandparent's greatest fear, isn't it, when you have a child with you? Right. Something's going to happen. So in this series, we are focusing on a familiar prayer. The Lord's Prayer that Jesus gave us is a prayer that is very familiar 
to most of us. Just 66 words in length, depending on what translation you're reading. The Lord's Prayer is God's invitation to us to be with him. I want you to think about this. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we're praying with Jesus. Just stop and think about that a minute, for a moment. Is there anybody else you'd rather pray with? When you pray the Lord's Prayer, you are praying alongside of Jesus. But the Lord's Prayer is more than an invitation to pray alongside of Jesus. It is an invitation to walk alongside of Jesus. Because the Lord's Prayer is all about life in God. It's about living in him. It is about him living in us. And it is about our living our lives through the prism of God's intended plan for us as human beings. And so we come to the Lord's Prayer. And as I lead us into this this morning, before we go back to the actual prayer, let me give you a few introductory remarks that I think are important for us today. Luke's gospel introduces the Lord's Prayer in Luke chapter 11 with with these words. Verse number one. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. When it comes to prayer, I think many people don't know what to say or how to say it. And that's because prayer is a learned behavior. Prayer is not something that we naturally do in our lives. It is something that we begin to learn to do supernaturally. So what I find striking about this is here are the disciples who are Jews. They were raised in Judaism, which means they learned prayers. In fact, they had fixed our prayers in Judaism, where they prayed on certain hours throughout the day. So these disciples actually knew about prayer. They were, as it were, professional prayers. But when they saw Jesus pray, something was stirred in them. They watched Jesus pray in a way that was foreign to them. There was something inspirational about it, something humbling, something remarkable, something that made them say, I want to learn to pray like that. So so I want to ask you a question this morning. When it comes to prayer, how teachable are you? Like the disciples, are you willing to become a beginner again when it comes to prayer? Are you willing to invite Jesus to come and teach you? I was, I was meditating on this and thinking about this, and in my own life, I, I don't know how uh, many times I, I was struggling in prayer, but I never reached out and invited Jesus to teach me. What a missing opportunity. So these professional prayers are actually beginning to get a glimpse into a way of praying, a a level of intimacy that they had never before experienced and they wanted in on the action. They said, we don't want to be left out here. 
we want to become part of this. So when you pray, how inspirational is your prayers to others? Jesus's was, his prayers were inspired. There was something about, and it wasn't the words he used. It was simply the level of intimacy that he enjoyed. Now, Paul the Apostle actually expands on this thought in Romans when he says this in Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. The Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, there are several things you need to see in this passage. First of all, you need to understand that for many of us, prayer is a weakness. And Paul understands that. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. Why? Because we don't know how to pray as we should. Left to ourselves, we will not pray as we should. And so where the Lord's Prayer tells us how to pray, the Holy Spirit actually helps us do it. The Holy Spirit actually helps us to pray. And why is that so critical? It's because none of us are experts when it comes to prayer. But the Holy Spirit is an expert when it comes to prayer. The Holy Spirit knows the mind or the heart of every human being. The Holy Spirit also knows the mind of God and the will of God. Which means that through the Holy Spirit, there is this incredible connection between our human experience and our human condition and God's will. Just think about that. The Holy Spirit bridges the gap between our human experience and condition, our weaknesses, and the will of God. So I have people ask me from time to time, how do I know if I'm in the will of God? How do I know if I'm praying in the will of God? Those are great questions. Let me tell you this. Every time you pray the Lord's Prayer, you are praying in agreement with God's will. You can be assured that to pray the Lord's Prayer is to pray in agreement with God's will. And let me also say this. True prayer will always lead us to a place where we give up control and we surrender to God. That's what the will of God's about. If it's prayer, it will always move us to a place where we are giving up control and we're actually submitting ourselves fully and freely to the will of God. So we don't know how to pray. We're weak when it comes to prayer. But the Holy Spirit actually empowers and enables us. How does he do it? The Bible says he does it with groanings, too deep for words. The translation of that could be size beyond words. Do you ever come to God in prayer and all you can do is just sigh? Oh. 
Sometimes we just don't know what to say. We have sighs within us that are so deep and the spirit of God connects with the sighing and actually connects the sigh and all the emotion behind it to God. And that's why we are unable to pray without the accompaniment of the Holy Spirit helping us. Jesus did not give us the Lord's Prayer and said, do it on your own. He said, here's the Lord's Prayer and now I'm gonna fill you with my spirit so that my spirit who knows my mind and knows your human condition is gonna bridge those and bring those together so the prayer is gonna have incredible power when you pray it. And so Jesus gives us this incredible prayer. Matthew's Gospel, chapter six. Let me read it in its entirety. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Jesus here presents prayer in several different ways, all of them significant. The first way he presents prayer is he presents prayer as relationship. That was the focus last weekend. He presents prayer as relationship. Our Father. In Psalm 23, just like the first five words in Psalm 23, everything flows from there. In the Lord's Prayer, everything flows from the first six words. Our Father who is in heaven. Everything in the Lord's Prayer comes out of that. You see, Jesus understood prayer as a relationship. And not just relationship vertically, but also relationship horizontally. He saw it not just as communication with God, but also communication with each other, together, in God's presence. He saw it as communion with God, but as we commune with one another, we commune with God. God is there with us. That's why he says we're two or three gather. I'm there in your presence as well. There is this communication and communion that happens. And let me just say, if we fail to see prayer as relational first and foremost, our prayers will become meaningless and they will become powerless because prayer begins and it ends with relationship. But Jesus also presents us something else. In this prayer, it's found in verse, again, the same verse, verse number nine. Here's what he says. Hallowed be your name. Jesus here is presenting prayer as worship. He's presenting prayer as worship. Now, that word hallowed is not a common word today. I mean, we, we rarely go around calling something or someone hallowed. 
Probably the closest thing that we can use for this idea is the idea of going to a place like the Arlington Cemetery. And when you get there, you say, listen, I'm on hallowed ground. This is sacred ground. This is special. The word hallowed could be translated holy or honored. It suggests someone to which you pay homage or to which you give the deepest level of respect. Most commonly, someone who is in authority or someone who has much more power than you have. In this case, God. Jesus here begins by not just helping us view prayer as relational and as relationship, but he also says we want you to view prayer as worship. Why? Because Jesus saw prayer and worship as inseparable. We do not. What we did for nearly 20 minutes this morning of singing with a band, that's worship. But that's not prayer. And then when we get quiet, or when we have a time of closing prayer, then we're going to pray. We come to one prayer to pray, not worship, right? Actually, Jesus didn't see it that way. According to Jesus, when you were praying, you were worshiping. And when you were worshiping, you were praying. We have an entire book, the book of Psalms, 150 Psalms that have been called the book of common prayers, but they've also been called the book of worship. Which is it? It's both. They were prayers intended to be sung to God. They were both prayers and they were equally worship. And Jesus here invites us to something profound. He invites us to understand that that prayer must come off the springboard of worship. In fact, it must begin by getting our eyes off of us and putting our focus on someone who has much greater power, someone who has much greater authority, somebody who actually is worthy of our homage. He says, this is where it all begins. And let me say this, if our prayer does not move us to worship, if it does not move us to gratitude, if it doesn't move us to love and to reverence, it may be something, but it isn't Christian prayer. If it does not move us to a place of worship to God, it is not Christian prayer, the way God, through Jesus Christ, invited us to. And what specifically are we invited to hollow? What is to be holy and honored? What Jesus said is that we are to hollow the name of God. Now the question is, what's in that name? Why is that name the name of God, so significant. Well, in Judaism, they saw a name and existence as completely interconnected. In other words, if you existed, you had a name. And if you had a name, you existed. So when I was home in Pennsylvania last weekend for my mom's 80th birthday, 
It's the first time I remember celebrating my mom's birthday. It was a really special weekend. And one of the things we did the following day after her birthday is we had just got her moved up from North Fort Myers to Pennsylvania. And in that move, my brother and sister who were helping her move found boxes and boxes, shoe boxes of pictures, photos. They opened the boxes and they were just everywhere. They, they, they span six or seven decades of pictures and there's no rhyme or reason to any of them. And we decided we were going to sit together for hours and we were just going to start going through pictures. Now, a lot of those pictures are people I didn't even recognize. But I saw pictures of my mom as a child. I saw pictures of my dad as a child. I saw military pictures that my dad had sent my mom, love notes. I also saw their wedding album for the very first time. I'd never seen my parents' wedding. Here's a picture of, of their wedding. My mom and dad in the middle there, of course. And off to my right, your left, are my paternal grandparents, Gilbert and Annette. By the way, if Annette looks mean, she was, okay? <laughs> okay, I didn't know Annette, but I was talking to my older brother and sister, and they said, oh, she was mean. The whole bunch of them were mean, the way they treated us. But I'm named after my paternal grandfather, Gilbert. On the other side with my mom are my maternal grandparents, Alan, who's an identical spitting image of my older brother, and Mary. I'm named after Alan. That's my middle name. Let me just say, those pictures I was going through last weekend stirred up all kinds of emotions in me. Pictures have a way of doing that, don't they? So do names. Sometimes you just hear a name, and just that name makes you feel something, right? I mean, just the name itself, it can have your heart throb with intimacy, or it could have your heart reeling in anger and rejection. Just the name. So let me ask you a question. What stirs in you when you hear the name God? What stirs in you when you just hear God's name? We can all think of names of people that stir really negative things in us and also some positive things, but, but what stirs in you when you hear God's name? Jesus said, hallowed be your name. That name of God was revealed first to Moses when God called Moses to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land. He gives the name to Moses, and here it is in Exodus Chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation 
to generation. And did you know that name, I am, appears thousands of times in the Old Testament alone? Thousands. And then we come to the New Testament and Jesus introduces us to the name again and he says, I am. And then he begins to put flesh to it. I'm the bread of life. I'm the gate. I am the door. I am the shepherd. I am the living water. And Jesus personalizes God's name for us. In fact, it becomes so personal. It becomes so intimate. He calls him Abba, which we talked about last weekend. He calls him Abba, Father, Daddy, God. So intimate. It would be like you going to England and meeting Her Majesty, Queen Elizabeth, and her saying to you, just call me Beth. We would feel so uncomfortable, right? We just would not be natural. It'd be so, we'd be so uneasy with that level of familiarity. But that's what Jesus tells us. He says, not only am I going to call him Abba, I want you to call him Abba. Because he's also your dad. He's also your father. Every time we pray, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We are adding our voice to a multitude of people, past, present, and future, who all share the same name. We all come from the same family. Let me just think about that for a moment. Every time you pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, you're sharing the name of the saints of old. You're sharing your name with those people. You're adding your voice to the multitude of people who have yet to come to this earth that are also gonna know their Father, God, and are gonna pray. There is such a deep connectivity in our prayers. And that's why he says, that name you shall call me from generation to generation. Let me say this, when you pray, hallowed be your name, you are committing yourself to making a name for God and not a name for yourself. We are making a name, not for us. We're making a name for him. So I think hallowed be your name, prayer as worship, suggests really two things. It suggests holiness, And it suggests humility. It suggests holiness. And it suggests humility. When we pray, hallowed be your name, we are putting God in his rightful place. But we are also putting ourselves in our proper place. Sometimes we need to be put in our proper place. The Lord's Prayer invites us to holiness that brings humility. When we pray, hallowed be your name, we are committing ourselves to walking a path of humiliation where we understand our own sinfulness, but we recognize his incredible holiness and greatness all at the same time. And because we pray to a God whose name is perfect, We pray to one who can hold both our sinfulness and the salvation we have in Jesus all at the same time. Just think about that. Salvation is not the absence of sin. 
Salvation does not make you perfect, but it does make you holy. Salvation is not sinlessness, but it is holiness in God. And where do we share in the holiness of God? Jesus said prayer is the place where we get to experience and begin to integrate God's holiness into our own sinfulness. See, my wholeness in Christ flows from God's holiness. I am made whole and holy because of him. And so, hallowed be your name is both an act of humility, recognizing who we are, but it's an act of incredible honor and homage and worship and love and gratitude to the holiness of God that has now lifted us to him and said, you are now one with me and you are also one with one another. And there's none of you that are better than another. You're all one in Christ. This is profound. And it changes everything about the way we pray. It's not just lip service to God. It's an act of incredible worship and love. So here's what I'm going to invite us to do. I told you we would close this morning with a corporate confessional prayer. Some of you are going to be very unfamiliar with what we're going to do. Others of you grew up in a liturgical family or you've come perhaps from a liturgical church where responsive readings were common. This morning, I want to lead us in a responsive prayer. Let me just tell you how it will work. You will see on the screen words that are not bold. I will, I will pray those words. And then there's words in bold that we all together are going to lift our voices and pray to God because we this morning as we close this service, I want us to give God an invitation. He's already given us an invitation. Now we're gonna give him an invitation. And that invitation is, Lord, teach us. Teach us to pray. It's, it's an invitation of humility. It's an invitation of teachability. It's saying, God, I'm willing to be a beginner again. I don't want to think I have it figured out. I put myself in a place of openness to learn. So I'm going to invite you to stand. Together, let's make this our confession of prayer. The words will be on the screen. Lord, Help us to come to see the Lord's Prayer, not as theological, but as dialogical. More than learning about prayer, we want to learn to pray, all of us. Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, we confess that prayer seems intimidating, that we often don't pray because we feel inadequate to do so. Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, prayer seems slow and long and often feels like we're doing nothing and nothing is happening when we pray. Help us to see prayer as being with God and to realize that just being with God is a good work. Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, we long for you even when we are unaware of our longing. We need you even when we are unable or unwilling to identify our need. Our bodies and our minds were built for prayer. So, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, forgive us for making prayer about us. 
Help us to make it about what it was intended to be, a posture of open receptivity and eager responsiveness to the holy invitation to be with God. Lord, teach us to pray that we too may commune more deeply with God the Father and may experience more fully his holiness by which we are loved and made whole. In Jesus' name, amen. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. Go in his peace. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.